Good evening. Just a couple of announcements before we begin. Saturday, September 29th in Cambridge at the Cambridge Port Baptist Church, we're going to have a ministry meeting, and everyone is invited. For ministry people, it is a required meeting, but um, what we do like to do, and what we've done many times in the past, is we just open it up to everyone. We have uh, uh, probably about 60 people involved in ministry in one way or another in the church, and it's a, a great time of fellowship. It's a potluck dinner, and so if you just need to know where that's at, that's at Cambridge Port Baptist Church. Even if you're if tonight is your first time ever here, uh, please come if you'd like and, and join us. It's a time um, where I share my heart to the ministry uh, to the ministry team. August 6, our fifth annual apple picking trip. There's a sign-up sheet in the back. What did I say, August? Ooh, thank you. August, no, October 6th. <laughs> and then Friday um, through Sunday, November 9th and 11th, uh, the, the Calvary Chapel uh, Women's Retreat. There's also sign-up for that. And last Sunday night, I forgot to announce that women... There's a uh, Bible study just began, women's Bible study, Tuesday nights here on the fifth floor. My wife told me to quit boasting about what a wonderful Bible study teacher she is, so I'll, I um, will stop doing that. Right, boast in the Lord. And they're going through 2 Timothy, and so uh, same deal, you'll be able to get your parking uh, uh, tokens and stuff if you park downstairs or at 375 Longwood. But they're going through 2 Timothy. Okay, well, uh, we are this evening going through the Old Testament, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're in 2 Kings. 2 Kings, chapter 10. Anyone need a Bible? Bible, anyone? If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Here we, we have one over here, one over here. Okay. Right here, Windsor, and then we have one on the other side. Second Kings chapter 10. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for uh, your word. I thank you that we can open the day and close the day in the word of God. Lord, how, uh, how you open up to us uh, your heart for the world. Uh, in your word, and, and how, Lord, uh, this evening, and really in the past uh, several weeks, Lord, on Sunday nights, you've opened up and exposed just uh, where man and woman's sin will take them, Lord. And I just pray that your word would be a warning to our heart this evening, an encouragement to our heart, a rebuke, an ex exhortation. You know where uh, all of us are as we enter this room, Lord. I pray that you would do this in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, uh, you know, for last week's lesson and this week's lesson, I've almost felt like I should give one of those parental warnings uh, that you see before some TV shows. You know, some of the content uh, is pretty graphic, and so parents, uh, beware, consider yourself warned. You know, sometimes, every once in a while, I hear someone try to justify uh, some of the movies and TV they watch with uh, illicit sex, 
and uh, violence. And they say something like, uh, well, you know, the Bible, what about the Bible? You know, if they rated that, that would be X-rated. And I agree. The problem is, you, you know, if you're arguing that, that's just a pathetic off-base argument, okay? Because Hollywood does what it does in order to sell sex and violence. The Bible does what it does in order to expose illicit sex and violence. And there's a big difference there. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that's why uh, uh, this is, you know, one of the things that the Lord does. And this is just, uh, you know, real uh, picture of violence and, and how low that men can go when they get disconnected from the head who is Christ and who is Jesus Christ. And, you know, violence, um, God hates violence so much that even King David, he refused to allow King David to build the temple. Why? Because he was a man of blood, the Bible says. He was a man of blood. And what's interesting about that is that a lot of the bloodshed that David shed, the blood that David shed, was at God's own direction. And, and so if that doesn't prove to us how much God hates violence, I don't know what does. Uh, but, um, you know, he's hated it from the time that, that Cain killed Abel until this very day. Um, just last night, Greg and I were praying together and, you know, on top of the hill, and we heard a bunch of gunfire coming from, you know, over in um, the, the projects on the back side of the hill. And, and, and God hates violence. And, uh, and, but but uh, the Holy Spirit, why does the Holy Spirit include it in God's Word? It's a picture of life uh, without God. And, you know, we left off last week with a pretty gory picture. Uh, after Jehu, king of Israel, had uh, actually, actually Jehu had killed the king of Israel... And he did so because the prophet of God uh, basically told him to uh, because uh, God was using Jehu, this uh, pretty intense dude to say the least, uh, to be the instrument of judgment against Israel. So he kills the king of Israel, then he kills the king of Judah, and then he shows up at Jezebel's house, and this is where we left off uh, last week, verse 33, she's up... Um, uh, on top of the tower, her eyes and uh, with the paint on her eyes and adorned on her head, and uh, he, Jehu says, "Throw her down." It says so. They threw her down. Uh, some of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. Wow! And so, as we said last uh, Sunday night, uh, what a way to end our Sunday evening. Well, uh, things if you things have just begun. Okay, the gore has just started. Uh, because um, in chapter 10, it really gets even uh, worse. And again, a picture. What had happened in northern Israel? What had happened in the nation of Israel in the north? They had departed from the Lord as a nation. They wholesale moved from the worship of Jehovah to worship of Baal. What did that involve? Ritualized prostitution, ritualized child sacrifice. And, and they just they had been in a downward spiral of sin. And so this is the picture 
Uh, same thing, by the way, with the book of Judges. You go through the book of Judges and you're, th- you're thinking to yourself, this stuff is weird. Why is it in here? It's a picture of what happens to a nation or to you and me for that matter when we get disconnected from the head who, as, as we actually we read this morning in Colossians chapter 3, the head who is Christ. Christ is our head. And so in verse 1 of chapter 10, it says, Now Ahab, remember he was the king of Israel who had uh, died, had 70 sons in Samaria. Now remember Jehu has been instructed because of the judgment of God and because of the terrible, terrible sin and rebellion and, and just the innocent children and the people that Ahab had killed had, had instructed Jehu to wipe these people out. Uh, he wrote uh, and sent letters to Samaria, Jehu did, to the rulers of Jezreel, that's where Ahab had lived, uh, to the elders and those who reared Ahab's sons. And he says, now as soon as this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, and you have chariots and horses, a fortified city also, and weapons, choose the best qualified of your master's sons, set him on, uh, set him on his father's house, and fight for your master's house. So this was a threat. They knew, these people knew. Actually, who are these people? Well, Jehu, being uh, an incredibly licentious guy, had many, many concubines and wives, and he had 70 sons, uh, probably at least 140 kids in all. Uh, And his sons were being taken care of by different people around Israel. Actually, they were mainly in this area of Jezreel. They were being taken care of uh, uh, by these people and raised and reared. And so Jehu sends them a letter and says, okay, uh, you guys better get ready to fight because I'm coming after you. That's basically what this letter says. Verse 4, it says, but when they received the letter, they were exceedingly afraid and said, look, two kings could not stand up to this man. How then can we stand? And he was in charge of the house, and he was in charge of the city, the elders also, and those who reared the sons of, Je- of, of reared the sons sent to Jehu, saying, "We are your servants. We will do uh, all that you tell us, but we will not make anyone king." So, in other words, they will. Remember, the king had died; he had been killed by Jehu, and they're saying, "Look, we're not going to make any of these sons king." You, do, you tell us what you're going to, uh, uh, tell us uh, what you want us to do, uh, and we'll do it. And it says at the end of verse 5, do what is good in your sight. So Jehu wrote a second letter to them saying, if you are for me and will obey my voice, take the heads of the men, your master's sons, and come to me at Jezreel but, uh, by this time tomorrow. Now the king's sons, 70 persons, were with the great men of the city who were rearing them. And so it was when the letter came to them, they took the king's sons and slaughtered 70 persons, uh, put their heads in baskets, and sent them to him at Jezreel. Again, just a terrible, gory picture, a picture of a nation, a society without God, which has departed from God. Now, here by this time, probably, what, six or seven generations had departed from the Lord. Uh, by this time. And so that's what a nation of, uh, that happens to a nation. You wind up with a bunch of heads in a basket. 
a nation that's become disconnected uh, uh, from God. Let that be a warning to all of us. Verse 8, Then a messenger came and told him, Jehu, saying, They have brought the heads of the king's sons. And he said, Lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. So he does this just to intimidate people. And so it was in the morning. He went out and stood and said to all the people, uh, you are righteous. Indeed, I conspire, uh, conspired against my master and killed him. But who killed all these? Uh, know now that nothing shall fall to the earth of the, uh, of the word of the Lord, which the Lord has spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. So Elijah had predicted all of this. Not predicted. He foretold it. He prophesied about it. The Bible says, um, God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. And so now Ahab, though he is no longer even alive, uh, his progeny is reaping what he sowed. His descendants are, are, are reaping what he sowed. And that's what wickedness will do if it's not broken, uh, this, if the cycle is not broken uh, by Christ. Uh, one of the wonderful things uh, about Jesus Christ. The Bible does say that the, that the sin of the fathers will be carried on down to the third and fourth generation, but Christ became a curse for us so that we can break the cycle. What a wonderful thing. So if our father was an alcoholic or, or a drug addict or a, a wife beater or whatever, you know, we can break that cycle in Christ. It's wonderful, wonderful news. Uh, and so it says in verse 11, So Jehu killed all who remained of the house of Ahab and Jezreel and all his great men and his close acquaintances and priests until he left him none remaining. So Ahab, uh, remember we read about him, uh, Ahab, that uh, really th just unbelievably uh, wicked man. Uh, it said that, um, you know, as we read about him, uh, in the previous chapters that, you know, none were as wicked as, uh, as he was uh, before since. So he was one wicked dude. And, uh, and, and now he's um, reaping what he, he sowed, his, his, his family. You know, it's interesting here, a picture of how low society was, how corrupt it was, how degraded it was that these people immediately just kill and behead these 70 sons. And these are kids and stuff who had been uh, given to their care. You know? And loyalty. <laughs> Not a whole lot of loyalty in a society that is going down the spiral of sin, is, is going down. And in our life today, in corporate life, I don't know if any of you have ever been in that environment. Very, very rare to see real, true loyalty. What's loyalty? When the sky's falling down. Do you go into that self-preservation mode at all costs? When push comes to shove, do you save yourself at the expense of someone else, or do you save others at your expense? When the ship is going down, do you try to get as many people to go down with you? Or are you with all your strength helping others into lifeboats? You know, I, I, I love the body of Christ. I'm so thankful for it. 
because you will find real loyalty here. Not perfect people, <laughs> but you'll find real loyalty in the body of Christ. People saying, you know, I'm going to, with all my strength, I'm just going to try to get as many people to get into the lifeboats. I don't care what happens to me. And, and that, that is Christ. First John says, what is love when a man gives his life for his friends? And so, uh, but here you have a society that is disconnected from the head, the living God, Jehovah, who had established Israel. This group decided to, this group of ten tribes in northern Israel broke off and they separated itself from the worship of the living uh, God. And so, let me tell you, when you're, when you're out in the real world, so many of you are already there, uh, this very thing, loyalty, will be tested. And when you get, when the sky starts falling down, it will be, you know, that's when your faith, you know, in Christ will be tested, and you'll have to ask yourself a real question then. Who's your Lord? Is it Jesus? If so, I'm going to take the bullet. If it's not Jesus, I'm going to get out of the way and let the bullet go through someone else. It's very simple. You know, those of you who are old enough know exactly what I'm talking about. This will happen. Your faith will be tested in this way. And so loyalty. Nothing is as beautiful in the life of a believer as loyalty. Uh, so... Um, here in, in Second Kings, we, we see a world that knows nothing of loyalty. Very uh, scary, uh, scary uh, state of affairs. Verse 12. And so Jehu, he's just gotten started. And he arose, Jehu arose and departed and went to Samaria. On the way at Beth-Eked of the shepherds, Jehu met with the brothers of Ahaziah, king of Judah. Now, Remember Ahaziah, he's already been wiped out by Jehu. He's already been killed. Uh, not something, that, by the way, that God had ordered. <laughs> he just sort of got in Jehu's way. And uh, this was, you know, one of the things that's really hard about First and Second Kings, it's confusing. Anyone confused yet about all the names? You have, you have the Judah in the south. We have, by the way, one honest person here <laughs> who raised their hands because it's really confusing. You have Judah in the south, and Judah, remember Jesus was the lion of Judah. Judah was, uh, you know, uh, David was from the tribe of Judah, and that was the kingdom that was established. Uh, well, actually, Israel was 12 tribes, but Judah and Benjamin stayed in the south, and that the line of Messiah was preserved there. Up in the 10 tribes in the north, uh, things just went south. And the problem is that first and second kings go from one king kingdom to another, from one kingdom to another, and to make matters worse, some of the kings in the north and the south had the same name. And to make matters even worse, they intermarried with each other. And so, you know, it gets really, really confusing. But so there's this guy, Ahaziah, all, and, and, and right in the middle of chapters, it'll switch from the north to the south. From the north to the south, you, you have to try hard to, um, to keep a track. So, and, so Jehu's just wiped out the sons of Ahab, who was the king in the north. Now he comes to the brothers of the king in the south, and he, uh, Ahaz, who, he, who he had also killed, 
And in verse 13, he says, when he met them, the brothers, he said, who are you? That's not a question I personally would be like to ask by this guy, Jehu. I mean, if you weren't here last Sunday night, just read chapter 9. This guy, he's a madman. So they answered, we are the brothers of Ahaziah. We have come down to greet the sons of the king and the sons of the queen mother. So they don't know what's happened here. They don't realize that Jehu's just wiped all those people out. And they're, you know, have a big smile on their face or whatever. Uh, And so what does Jehu say uh, in verse 14? Take them alive. And he took them alive and killed them at the well of Beth-Eked, 42 men, and he left none of them. Again, I don't think this this, this hadn't been ordered by the Lord either. And, and this, is, but this is what happens with violence. Uh, it's just like a snowball here. Verse 15, now when he departed from, now we're going to get back to, this gets real confusing. So it goes from a bunch of people being killed from the kingdom of the south. Now it goes right back to the north again. Now when he departed there, he met Jehonadab. Jehonadab. Bible trivia, who knows who he is? Jehonadab. Come on, I know Scott knows who he is. Who is he? Very good. You see, assistant pastor, Scott, everyone impressed here? <laughs> pastor Scott? All right. <laughs> Jehonadab. <laughs> Jehonadab appears, um, comes up 300 years after this in the book of Jeremiah. I hope I don't lose you here, okay? But this stuff is, you know, it's really interesting to me. In the book of Jeremiah, by that time, the kingdom of Judah had sunk to almost as bad as the kingdom of Israel in the north now is now. So it took another 300 years for the south to get to the place the north was, and that's where the Babylonians came in, and the temple was destroyed, and Israel was, was basically wiped out uh, as a nation, as a, as a physical uh, nation. But anyway, 300 years later, it was Jeremiah was the prophet, right? And... He, God is so upset uh, at the nation of Israel, um, he, he, he speaks to Jeremiah and asks Jeremiah and, and basically says, thus saith the Lord uh, through Jeremiah and, com- and, and, and speaks to Israel about the sons of Jehonadab. Now, the one characteristic of Jehonadab and, and all his descendants is they drank no alcohol. And what happened was uh, God sent Jeremiah to the sons of Jehonadab. Jehonadab did not drink alcohol. He took a Nazarite vow or whatever, says, you know, this, this alcohol has wreaked too much havoc. I don't want it to part as my family. And that carried down for 300 years. 300 years later, his descendants did not drink alcohol. And so he sent Jeremiah to uh, the sons of, descendants of Jehonadab, and he said, you go right up into their camp and ask them, you know, here, why don't you come to a feast and I'll serve you wine. And so Jeremiah the prophet goes into their camp and says, look, come to a feast, I'll serve you wine. And they, and they said, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. You know, we would, wouldn't be who, the, the men of, and women of God that, that, um, that we've become through the example of our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather Jehonadab. And so 
then Jeremiah takes their example back and he goes to Israel and says, look at the devotion of these people in the matter of alcohol, which isn't something that is prohibited in the Bible, but they have chosen to consecrate themselves and do it. And yet, and yet you all are basically have no sense of, of, of loyalty to the Word of God, uh, no sense of right or wrong, you're just doing anything. 300 years later, now sometimes, you know, we get this feeling, is, is our life having any effect on anyone? This guy, think about it, 300 years later because of his example. They're still walking in righteousness. They're still an example that, that God lifts up. Did you ever think of, can you consider the possibility of your life walking in righteousness? Ephesians chapter 6, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, not just three days a week, seven days a week. 300 years from now. Jesus, please don't tarry that long. But 300 years from now, if, if the world's still around, your descendants may be walking as a result of your example. That is how powerful a righteous life is. That's encouraging to me. It just can be handed down. Your son is righteous. Your grand, Andrew Murray, one of my favorite authors, wrote a couple of the devotionals we have in the back something like his, of his great-great-great-grandchildren. There's like 25 pastors. I mean, it just, it, it just wonderful example that can be handed down from generation to generation. And this guy wasn't a pastor. He was just a righteous guy. He wasn't even a prophet. He was just a layperson who, uh, who had an example of righteousness. And so, anyway, uh, Jehu goes to this guy, and he says he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, and coming to meet him, he greeted him and said, is your heart right as my heart is toward the Lord? And Jehonadab says, it is. And Jehu said, if it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand, and he took him up with him in his chariot. Then he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they had him ride in his chariot. Now, why did Jehu have this guy ride in his chariot? The same reason politicians like to have Billy Graham, you know, follow them around. Because Billy Graham is, indeed, a righteous man. He's, been, he's had the privileged posi uh, position of speaking truth in, into the hearts of, of presidents. And, I mean, he has understood that Maybe along the line, someone manipulated him, but that's not his responsibility. His responsibility is he spoke truth into their hearts. And this is sort of the same thing. Jehu's like, everyone knows about this guy, Jehonadab, what a righteous man he was. This guy's so righteous. His is 300 years later, his descendants are walking with him. And so Jehu takes him along in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to Ahab in Samaria. So not only the sons of Ahab are killed, just everyone, cousins, uncles, whatever. It's a real, real picture of violence and what happens to a society which becomes disconnected from the head. And then it really continues on here. It starts getting really funky. Verse 18, Then Jehu gathered all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little. Jehu will serve him much. He's lying to them. 
This is going to be a big deception that he's going to perpetrate on them so he can wipe out all the people who follow Baal. And this isn't, God isn't telling him to do this. This is sort of a guy whose zeal has run amok. Verse 19, Now therefore, call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants, all his priests. Let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Again, he's lying. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu acted deceptively with the intent of destroying the worshipers of Baal. And Jehu said, Proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. Then Jehu sent throughout all Israel, and all the worshipers of Baal came, so that there was not a man left who did not come. So they came into the temple of Baal, and the temple of Baal was full from one end to the other. And he said to the one in charge of the wardrobe, Bring out vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. So he brought out vestments for them. Then Jehu and Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshipers of Baal, Search and see that no servants of the Lord are here with you, but only the worshipers of Baal. So you can imagine being someone who, who, who was a servant of the Lord, who did follow Jehovah at this time. They're thinking they're going to be wiped out. <laughs> because Jehu, this new king, remember, there's no text messages you know, in this time. These people didn't know that Jehu was acting deceptively. They thought, wow, well, I guess this is it. I'm going to die because I worship Jehovah, and this guy Jehu is, is um, going into the temple to, to worship Baal. Or they at least thought, probably were thinking there'd be some severe uh, consequences. So they went in, verse 24, to offer burnt uh, sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had appointed for himself 80 men on the outside and said, if any of the men whom I have brought into your hand escapes, whoever let him escape, whoever lets him escape, it shall be his life for the life of the other. And now it happened as soon as he had made an end of offering in the burnt offering that Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, go in and kill them. Let no one come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. Then the guards and the officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the temple of Baal. And they brought out the sacred pillars of the temple of Baal and burned them. Then they broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and made it a refuse dump to this day. Then Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. However, Jehu, I'll hold up there for a second. So, you know, it, it is not clear you know, from this passage, whether this is something that's sanctioned by the Lord. But I think it's fairly, uh, you know, I'm fairly confident in saying it was, this was judgment. This was judgment sort of on the evil uh, of Baal worship, because as I said, uh, worship of Baal wasn't just going down and bowing to a statue. It was much, much more, involving a lot more wickedness, really, in a practical way in these people's life with child sacrifice, with ritualized prostitution. So you have this incredible judgment uh, happening here. In verse 27, then they broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and tore it down. So verse uh, 28, actually 29. However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who had made Israel sin, that is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. Now, remember what the sin of Jeroboam was. Jeroboam was the man who set up uh, this 
He departed from the two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin. He went up north, and, but he was scared that people, if they went down to Jerusalem three times a year, that they were, which way they were required to do by Jewish law to worship in the temple, he was scared if they did that, their hearts would turn and they, they, he would be betrayed by them because they'd be right in the middle of Judah, who at that time was a different country. So he set up golden calves and said, worship these calves. That was the sin of Jeroboam. It says, Jehu did not depart from that. Verse 30, it says, And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight. In other words, he did execute a lot of the judgments that the Lord had specifically told him to do. And have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart. Your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. Verse 31. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart. For he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam who had made Israel sin. And so here you have an example in Jehu. You know, first time I read this, I was confused. You know, why? Here's just another Israel in the north. There was never even one king who was righteous. There's another wicked king coming along. And yet he had done all this stuff. He had wiped out all these evil prophets. He had, he had done what the Lord had told him to do. But he's still listed in the hall of infamy, if you will, because, um, b- because of his evil. And uh, you will see in the Old Testament the, this happened from time to time where God takes wicked men, sometimes an evil nation. For example, he used an evil nation of Assyria to come in and war against the north and really just wipe them out. And then all the people from the northern tribes were exiled. He does the same thing to Babylon with the, northern, with the southern two tribes. hope you're following me here. I know it gets difficult. But, but then after these people attack Israel and kill many Israelites, God turns around and judges them, Assyria and Babylon, for what they had done to Israel, even though he used them to execute judgment. Again, it speaks to the holiness of God. It speaks to the holiness of God and how seriously he takes uh, any violence and how seriously he, he takes, even when his, when his own uh, children, the kingdom, uh, 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 the children of Israel in this case, or, or Christians, even you know, when they're killed, it, that's, that's their, people are killing him in a sense. Jesus said to Paul when Paul was killing Christians, why are you persecuting me? And so Jehu was, uh, you know, an example of this. Uh, he had a lot of zeal for the Lord, but in his heart, there really was no holiness. And I do see this from time to time in the body of Christ. There's someone real sort of zealous about, you know, going out and doing, quote-unquote, work for the Lord. But when it comes to humility when it comes to loving their enemies, when it comes to purity. They don't really have, want to have anything you know, they, they, with, uh, to do with it. They want to do the work of the Lord, but they're not really interested in dying to their flesh. And this guy, Jehu, he was like that. You know, Doing the work of the Lord can be a real exciting thing. 
But, you know, at the end of the day, the Lord's asking us, who are we when behind closed doors? Who are we? When no one else is looking. You know, that's, that's Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. That's which God is going to judge. The Bible says that all of us are naked before the Lord. He knows exactly what's going on in our heart. And that's what blesses the Lord. He loves us to do his work, his will. But if it's not being done out of a pure heart, there's a real problem. And so, um, you know, we, we continue now in, in, um, in verses 32 through 36, Jehu uh, dies there. Uh, and then in, in uh, chapter 11, uh, it's, if it wasn't the Bible, I would say it's a soap opera. But the soap opera, I, I'll, I'll say it, this, this real soap opera continues and things get even crazier. And again, that's what happens when you become disconnected from the head. It sounds like a broken record. Chapter 11, verse 1. Then Athaliah, so here's the, uh, this is also a problem. Now the names sound alike. So, you know, the names sound alike as if we needed to be confused more. But the Holy Spirit wrote it, so I guess it's okay. Uh, then Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead. So remember, Jehu had just wiped out Ahaziah, the king of the, in the south, the king of Judah. His mother, it says, saw that he was dead, and she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs, meaning all, all anyone who was in line to become king, she killed. Verse 2, but Jehoshaphat, the daughter of, of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Johash. So the sister of the former king who had been killed by Jehu, is everyone with me? <laughs> One honest person. <laughs> the sister of the king who had been wiped out um, kept this, this baby, Joash, and hid him. And, uh, and says it stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. So the king in the south, this particular king was also an evil man. He had many, many, many sons and daughters. This woman couldn't, his mom, grandma, couldn't keep track of all these kids. One of them was preserved. One of them was preserved. And it says, and, and stole him away uh, from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah so that he was not killed. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. Now, I, I, I don't know, I, I, I love that verse. It's like the verse in Samuel where, you know, Samuel's growing up in the house, in the temple. There's something just so rich about this. This kid being hid in the house of the Lord for six years. Wow. Now, remember, Athaliah, this woman, she, I hope you can follow me here, was Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. And the king of Judah in the south decided to marry her. And so she comes down from the, the, the north, and she's this 
wicked pagan woman. <laughs> and so he, this king in the south becomes unequally yoked. And, you know, they have kids and stuff like that. He'd, he gets killed, and all of a sudden you have in the south, in the line of the Messiah, you have this woman who's a pagan, not a, even a worshiper of Jehovah. And she's in, she's in control now, and she just wipes out everything. She's just taken that same mentality from the north, violence, bloodshed, dog-eat-dog thing, and she's instituting it in the south. Uh, but here, uh, here, the sister of the king hides Joash in the house of the Lord. Uh, Psalm 27 says, One thing I ask of the Lord, this I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek Him in His temple. There's just something wonderful about being with the people of God. And even, you know, starting your day, ending your day, whatever, in the people of the, with the people of God. You know, uh, with me, uh, Saturday and Friday night, I do a lot of my preparing. On Saturday, a lot of warfare in my life. <laughs> just, you know, Satan trying to prevent the Word of God from going out on Sunday. But there's always just such a peace when I walk in here. There's just joy here, just hanging out with, with you guys. Just being encouraged by people. Remember we talked a couple weeks ago where Paul says, I wish that all of you would prophesy. That's not, he wasn't talking again. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, or in 13 actually. No, 14, 14 verse 1. He was not talking about prophesying about the future. He was just talking prophecy just means sharing scripture with people. That's it. There's something, why does Paul want, why does Paul say, I would have all of you prophesy because it's just such a rich thing. It's such a healthy thing. When the people of God are together and they're just sharing the word of the Lord with each other, building each other up, it's such an encouragement being uh, with the, uh, the body of Christ. So here you have this kid growing up in the temple, just like Samuel. And so you knew good things were going to come uh, with this guy. And so someone can do make a movie out of all this. Verse 4, in the seventh year, Jehoiada, another very godly man. Again, this is in the south, a different world, completely different world, as we'll see, than the north. And all that craziness under Ahab and, and his sons and grandsons. In the, in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and uh, brought the captains of hundreds of the bodyguards and the escorts and brought them into the house of the Lord to him. And he made a covenant with them and took an oath from them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. You know, there's a principle here. So none of these people knew that the king's son was alive. And they were being oppressed by this incredibly wicked woman who was now queen. And they didn't know that, that he was even alive. Notice here that they commit first. They make a covenant first inside the temple. And then the son is revealed to them. You know, it's like that with the Lord. It's like that with salvation. You know, I, God draws you in. But he doesn't reveal the fullness of the Son until 
there's that lordship commitment where we make Jesus the master and savior of our life. I know it was like that for me. You know, God showed me, uh, a friend of mine gave me a commentary in the book of John. I, I, I didn't know the Lord. I wasn't walking with the Lord. I, was, I, does, I knew a lot about Christ, but I, I had never walked with Christ. And, and, I, and, I, and I started just reading the Word, and, and the Lord started revealing Himself to me. But until I committed my life to Him, I wasn't, He wasn't revealed to me in His fullness. And so they first make the covenant with the priest here. And then there showed Joash, this boy, the king's son. And you can just imagine just how, you know, the, these men, just what an incredible joy they must have had and relief in their heart. I mean, can you imagine hope in their heart? Uh, it, it was probably gone. Life was hopeless. There's this wicked queen, and, and she's just oppressing everyone. And, and now, and, 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 you know, that's what Jesus is like. Uh, you know, we get to the place in our life where we just think all, you know, all hope is gone. And, 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 and what happens? God reveals his son, Jesus. And so this is a foreshadowing of this. This is just incredible. Verse 5, then he commanded them, this is Jehoiada, this very righteous uh, high priest, chief priest, saying, uh, that is, this is what you shall do. So he's going to have a plan here to overtake this woman, this, just boot this woman out of, uh, out of power. They're going to do more than boot her, though, as you'll see. One-third of you who come on duty on the Sabbath shall be keeping watch over the king's house. One-third shall be at the gate of the sewer, and one-third of the, uh, at the gate behind the escorts. You shall keep the watch of the house, lest it be broken down. The two contingents of you who go off duty on the Sabbath shall keep the watch of the house of the Lord, but you shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapon in his hand, and whoever comes within range, let him be put to death. You are to be with the king as he goes out and as he comes in. So the captains of the hundreds did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. Each of them took his men who were to be on duty on the Sabbath with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath and, and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave the captains of hundreds spears and shields which had belonged to King David. They were in the temple of the Lord. Then the escort stood, every man with his weapons in his hand, all around the king from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple by the altar of the house. And he brought out the king's son he put a crown on him, gave him the testimony, meaning, meaning the law. Remember from the Old Testament, the king was required to have the law and read it. They made, uh, they made him king and anointed him, and they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king. So here's the king in the middle. He's got the law, the, the law of Moses in his hands. He's surrounded by, really, these men who had made this covenant. This is basically an army. They had been given weapons, which were the weapons of King David, which were in the temple of the Lord. Verse 13. Now, when Athaliah, again, daughter of Jezebel and Ahab, heard the noise of the escorts and the people, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. When she looked, there was the king standing by a pillar according to custom. And the leaders and the trumpeters were by the king. 
And all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. You can imagine the joy. So Athaliah tore clothes and cried out, Treason, treason! And Jehoiada the priest, uh, and Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of the hundreds, the officers of the army, and said to them, "Take her outside under guard and slay her with a sword, and slay with a sword whoever follows her." For the priest had said, "Do not let her be killed in the house of the Lord." So they seized her, and she went by the way of the horse's entrance into the king's house, and there she was killed. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord, the king, and the people that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and all the people. And all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal. So obviously, this temple of Baal had been built because Jezebel's daughter had come down. Jezebel was the daughter of, the, uh, of a priestess, of, a priest of, of Baal. And so they thoroughly broke it in pieces. They killed Matin, the priest of Baal, before the altars, and the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. Then he took the cabins of hundreds, the bodyguards, the escorts, and all the people of the land. And they brought the king down from the house of the Lord and went by the way of the gates of the escorts to the king's house. Then he sat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet, for they had slain Athaliah with a sword in the king's house. Joas was seven years old when he became king. And so one of the things I wanted to really bring out here was, does, does anyone notice the enormous difference between what happened here and what had happened in the north? Here, righteousness still reigned in the land. And so the people sort of came as one into the city. The people made a commitment to the Lord. The people overtook the wickedness themselves. All of the people. There's hundreds and hundreds of them. In the north, things had gotten so bad, God had to deputize this madman to go and just and, uh, wipe out the king, the, the, the wicked king. And may, no one was really helping him unless, basically, uh, Jehu put a sword to their throat. But here you really have a picture of people where righteousness is still reigning in the land, There'd be many good, good kings that follow. Uh, Joash, Joash was, is a good king. He was a righteous king. He followed the ways of the Lord. wasn't perfect, but, but, but to me, this is just such a picture of a, a righteous nation and, and one that isn't. Here, the people is one man. They, they get up and, and they just rejoice when the wickedness is gone. Didn't see a whole lot of rejoicing in the north, did we, when Ahab, Ahab was wiped out? But here, people knew what it was like to be under a godly leader. These people, uh, Joash's grandfather, who was he? Jehoshaphat, righteous man. Now, this gets confusing, all the names. But Jehoshaphat, was, he was a righteous king. He was a righteous example. They had enjoyed the fruits of righteousness. They knew what it was like to live in a country uh, with it, where there was uh, a righteous person. And, and so... Um, and so Joash is crowned king. Uh, chapter 12, what time is it? Anyone? 10 till 8. When do we usually stop? Okay. So we'll, in, in, in chapter, uh, chapter 12, let's, um, let's finish up with, with chapter 12. So a revival, actually, 
takes place in the south. Wonderful thing. In the seventh year of Jehu, Joash became king, and he, he reigned for 40 years in Jerusalem. By the way, that's another thing you see in the south, where it's the line of the Messiah, kings reigning a long time. God prospered them. Did, don't see as much of that in the north. Uh, and it's always, remember, one line. In, in the north, it was this crazy thing where, you know, a, a king would reign for, uh, a king's line would reign for a few generations, be wiped out, and then, then the next folks would come in and be wiped out. And Joash, verse 2, did, uh, Jehoash, there's two, two ways to spell it, uh, did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. But the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. And Jehoash said to the priests, All the money of the, dedic- uh, of the dedicated gifts that are brought into the house of the Lord, each man's census money, each man's assessment money, and all the money that a man purposes in his part to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priests take it themselves, each from his constituency, and let them repair the damage of the temple wherever any dilapidation is found. So the temple, remember, Joash's father, unlike Joash's grandfather, was not a righteous man. So the temple had fallen into disrepair. And so this young man who had grown up uh, in the temple of the Lord uh, orders the temple to be restored, orders the people uh, to, to give. And notice in verse 4, It says, and all the money that a man purposes in his heart to bring into the house of the Lord, uh, let him bring it for this purpose. And so, you know, the the Bible says that God loves a uh, cheerful giver. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, He who who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. So if you give sparingly to the Lord, the Bible says you will reap sparingly. However, it continues as he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And then it goes on and says in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So God loves giving when it's cheerfully made. The word cheerful there in Greek, some of you may know. Hilarious is the Greek, the root word there, the, the word for, from which we get hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver, you know. Um, one of the things that, that characterizes Calvary chapels in general is, is uh, money uh, is not something that is ever, people aren't pressured to give money. This is most, not all, but most Calvary chapels. And Remember, there's a guy at work um, who was having a horrible time at his church because they were really pressuring the people to give and to give and to give, and the subject was coming up all the time. And I told him, you know, um, it's hard to, to do this with this guy or anyone and not have just a little pride in my heart. But you, I said, you know, you should maybe use the method we do at our church. He said, well, what's that? I said, never, ever, ever ask for money. Don't even have a collection plate. And and I said, you know, that works really, really well. And so he was really intrigued uh, by that uh, idea. Now, as as it comes up in the Bible, as we're doing chapter by chapter, verse by verse, I would be doing you a disservice if I don't teach about it. Because as we just read... He who sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. And you guys should know that. He, he who uh, sows bountifully will reap bountifully. 
but, but pressuring the people of God is a form of beating sheep, but it also it doesn't bless the heart of God when we're not giving with hearts that have been stirred to give and that are, are cheerful to give. And so I told this, this, this guy at work, you know, we, we are really blessed with our finances. We have no financial issues uh, because, because the people... You know, they learn from the Word of God, you know, about giving, but they're never pressured to give. And, and, and so they, you know, they give the Lord. And so we, hear, we see here uh, King Joash and, and the temple uh, uh, being restored by people giving uh, cheerfully, uh, cheerfully uh, to the temple. And, and, uh, and then uh, as the chapter goes on, uh, the, the, the work is not going as fast as, as he as he as it could, and so uh, Joash really encourages them to uh, build up the uh, uh, the temple of the Lord uh, there. And uh, it says in verse nine, it says, "Then Jehoiada the priest took a chest, and he bored a hole in its lid and set it beside the altar. And on the right side, as one comes into the house of the Lord, and the priests who kept the uh, kept the door put the, uh, there all the money." Uh, brought into the house of the Lord. So it was whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest that the king's scribe and the high priest came up and put it in bags and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. So that's what we do. We have a little box back there. We cut a hole in it. If someone wants to, um, uh, if someone wants to give, they, uh, you know, they give, and it's between them and the Lord. It was on the right side of the altar. Some scholars think that when Jesus taught about giving, and he said, let not your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He's talking specifically about this, dropping the money into this, uh, into this uh, box that, uh, that Joash and Jehoiada actually started uh, this. And so um, the work is done, and, the, um, and the, the temple is finished. Now, verse 17, we learn here, Joash was a wonderful king. He wasn't perfect. It says in verse 17, Haziel, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath. And then he, uh, he set his face to go up to Jerusalem. And Joash, king of Judah, took all the sacred things uh, that his father, Jehoshaphat, and Jehoram, and Ahaziah, kings of Judah, had dedicated. I guess so Je- uh, Jehoshaphat was his great-grandfather, pardon me. And his own sacred things, and all the gold found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord, and in the king's house, and sent them to Hazel, the king of Syria, and then he went away from Jerusalem. So uh, this is something that many kings, even good kings in Judah, did, which was a great mistake. They lived by sight, not by faith. They were presented with a threat, and rather than praying, you don't see Joash praying here. <clears throat> the king of Syria comes against him, and he doesn't pray. What does he do? Well, you know, I'll bribe him. I'll bribe him with all the, the money that we have. I'll pay him off. So, you know, let that be a warning to us. That, you know, even when we're righteous in Christ and we're walking with the Lord like Joash was doing, uh, the enemy, Satan, will always be presenting us with opportunities to take shortcuts and to live by uh, sight and not by faith. Unfortunately, that's, um, that's what uh, Joash uh, does here. And Actually, in verse 20, he is killed 
in a conspiracy. It's later going to be avenged for by the Lord, but uh, in chapter 13. But we will uh, go there next week. Uh, it, it's a, a much more wonderful ending this week than where we ended last week. How, uh, you know, the, the Bible says that when righteousness reigns in the nation, the nation rejoices. But when the wicked reign, the righteous flee. And uh, you just have that picture here of a nation rejoicing and, and uh, how we need to pray for our nation, just for righteousness uh, in our nation. Okay, so we will, uh, we will uh, stop. Uh, we will end there and uh, we'll end the Bible study. Um, we'll pick it up next week in chapter 13. For those of you who want to uh, stay and pray, in 15 minutes, we'll be gathering. When you hear the sound of the guitar over here, that means you really got to, if you're not going to stay and uh, pray, and please do if you can, but if you can't, God bless you. Uh, go home, get your beauty sleep, but when you hear that guitar and you're not staying to pray, move your conversations uh, into, the, into the food court. Tonight, I'd like to pray, uh, the general player I'd like to pray is uh, Pastor Jaime, He's one of the uh, one of the pastors under Brian Vandercody in Peru, who we support, and uh, he is in the middle of providing provision to those who were affected by the earthquakes in Peru. Many victims down there of the earthquake, many injuries, many people, actually tens of thousands of people, uh, without uh, without. Um, uh, shelter anymore, and um, he'd like just uh, uh, provision to, to continue the distribution there. He also just asked for uh, endurance, wisdom, and strength. Remember that, Pastor Jaime. Those of you who went with us to Peru, remember Pastor Jaime. Okay, God bless. How about you, Benjamin? Should we pray for you too? You want to come up here, get prayed for? Sure. Come on. Scott, Greg, can you come up? So Benjamin's going to take a, a six-month um, trip to, uh, to uh, Calvary Chapel, Bangor, a program they have up there. And this is a wonderful example and encouragement to me. It really is. Praise God. Praise God. Mm. Father, I just want to pray for, for, for Benjamin, Lord. And I thank you for this... Uh, this, uh, this step of faith he's taken, Lord God, to, to go up there to this program and, and just, just so that he can be healed, Lord, so that healing can come into his life, so that he can be restored and become the man of God that you have chosen him to be. Lord, I just pray that you would take him up there and you'd uh, break him and make him your own, Lord, like you do with all your children, that you would mold him You'd fashion him. And Lord, I just pray for the leadership of, of this program and everyone who's, who, who they're working with up there, uh, that you would just give them wisdom, courage, and strength, Lord. And I just pray that your word of God uh, would just bring healing uh, to, to everyone up there. And for Benjamin, just, uh, Lord, until he returns, Lord, I just uh, pray that the whole church body, Lord, you'd just stir in our hearts to keep him in prayer, Lord, and that we can receive him whole and restored. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you are dismissed. <laughs>